Hello and welcome to Baylor Connections, a conversation series with the people shaping our future. Each week we go in depth with Baylor leaders, professors, and more discussing important topics in higher education, research, and student life. I'm Derek Smith, and today we are honored to be joined by a Baylor trailblazer, Miss Barbara Walker, a trailblazer, social worker, civil servant, and a Baylor legend. In 1967, she became the first black female graduate of the university and one of the first two black graduates, along with Reverend Robert Gilbert. An Oklahoma native, she came to Baylor and earned a degree in sociology, then went on to Florida State University, where she earned a master's degree in social work before embarking on a more than 30-year career serving mental health needs in California. There, she led the state of California's Department of Mental Health programs for a number of years as a licensed clinical social worker, helping patients transition from the state hospitals into homes and jobs. Ms. Walker says that some of her most satisfying work was in her private practice, working with parents whose children had been removed from their homes. Last spring, a statue of Walker was erected outside the Tidwell Bible Building, along with Reverend Gilbert, forever immortalizing their time and impact on campus and on future generations of Baylor students and family members. Boy, a lot of ground we can cover today and talk to you, but uh, first off, just thanks so much for taking the time to join us, Ms. Walker. It's an honor to have you and excited to visit with you today on Baylor Connections. Well, thank you for asking me. I really appreciate that. Well, it's been a, certainly a, a meaningful last uh, few months uh, for you at Baylor. I had the chance to see you uh, and hear your great speech at the uh, unveiling uh, this spring of the statue. Let's just start there. How, how did it feel for you to be back on campus and to, to see that statue for the first time? It was kind of uh, surreal <laughs> and really wonderful. You know, so many of my family members were able to come and to be there with me, and that really made it even more special because I had no idea that they even were even thinking about coming with me and about 50 of them showed up. So that wow. was, was wonderful. It's really great. When did you first find out that the statue was even a, a possibility? How far back does that go? And, and what was your reaction? I can't remember who the person was that called me and informed me, but it was like about a year and a half before, I guess almost two years before, uh, before the unveiling. Uh, because they included Robert's family and me in choosing the person, the sculptor who would be the one to do it for us. We had all, had the Zoom all set up. And so we had a chance to interview all, I think we were about five, about five people who uh, who applied. Well, and ultimately it was Ben Victor who uh, who put the yeah. statues together, and we're going to talk to you about that. And we were pleased to have uh, Dr. Kenyatta Gilbert on the program uh, recently, and he spoke highly of uh, of that process and excited to hear your thoughts as well as we visit with Miss Barbara Walker. And yeah, Miss Walker, I'm curious, let's go back to uh, 1967 and actually a little bit before during your time at uh, Baylor as a student. Okay. When, when you were here, did you see yourself as a trailblazer? Did you see yourself as a young woman in that role? Or take us back to, to your mindset that time. Well, I never even thought about trailblazing or doing anything. I was purely there to get an education. I just wanted a quality, quality education. And I didn't even know anything about Baylor, except I was at Paul Quinn my freshman year. And I had a couple of professors who taught it, who had taught at Baylor. And one who was still, but the math teacher was still uh, teaching at Baylor, and both of them really encouraged me. They both felt that 
um, Paul Quinn was a little bit below what I was capable of doing and that I should seriously look at going to, you know, going to look at Baylor. So I was just looking to get a good quality education and the thought of anything else really didn't even occur to me. What were your, who were your biggest encouragements in pursuing higher education? Obviously you came from Oklahoma to central Texas, which it seems like it helped open the doors you said to come to Baylor. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I guess in a way, my mother more than anyone because of the example that she had set and because she was so much into education. But growing up, it seems as though, uh, I think it was just really God that was my biggest encourager because my family really didn't talk about about education, but I can remember even from a very young child, it was always in my head that I was going to college. I never even thought there was no way I was going to be chopping cotton for the rest of my life. <laughs> I was just not going to do that. So it was so it was just implanted in me, just the environment that I grew up in, that I, there had to be a better way. I recall you mentioned your mother at the uh, at your speech uh, back in the spring, and that was uh, was really meaningful to to hear that and to hear what uh, she meant to you as we visit with Miss Barbara Walker. And so you, you come to Baylor, you're pursuing your degree. What were your emotions like? Was it excitement, nervousness, all of the above? Uh, what, take us inside what you were thinking as you stepped on campus and really poured yourself into student life. Well, I was really excited. I don't know. It never frightened me. Um, from the minute that I got to Baylor, there were students who just came up to me and to be my friend and became friends and were friends with me uh, some of them, some of them had transferred and left, but most, the majority of them, they stayed my friends the whole time I was there at Baylor. So their welcoming was so uh, much more than what I had expected. I, I had kind of expected coming from the South that there would be, um, you know, a lot more uh, conflict, but it wasn't. They really went out of their way to make me feel welcome. And I appreciate that. I'm still friends with some of them still today. That's wonderful. Now, 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 were there challenges? It sounds like you said there really weren't a lot, but were there challenges you faced as a student? I think that probably the biggest challenges I faced was getting used to the class, doing the classes and how to, and the homework and, and preparing for tests. And because I came from, uh, you know, coming from a small Black community, and then my high school year was spent my high school years were spent, uh, you know, we were, our schools were consolidated. We lost our high school, our school there in Redbird, and we went to Porter, which was, before that, was an all-white school. So all of the teachers were white, and it helped. I can see as I got to uh, Baylor that it helped me a lot to have had that background because there, they introduced me to a lot to classes and things that I otherwise would not have been had, I could, had Redbird not lost its school. But uh, but so that for me, I found that to be my biggest challenge, just the school and the adapting to the schoolwork. Students, you know, there are always going to be those, there were always those, you know, who had little, could make little snide remarks, but I didn't pay that any attention. I was so happy to be at Baylor. I was not going to let anything deter me. <laughs> those things just did not, they just were not significant to me. Yeah, very focused. That's how you, I've always heard you describe it, but it's, it's, it's neat to hear that as we visit with Miss Barbara Walker. And did you know Reverend Gilbert uh, very well as a, as a student? Robert came the year after I did. I came in 64, he came in 65. And we met and we talked and sometimes we get together at the student union. But uh, Robert lived off campus because he was from Waco and I lived in the dormitory and we didn't have any classes together. So. Um, 
there was no, so there was nothing that really brought us together except you know us going out of our way and spending some time together in the student union and talking like that. But that was pretty much it. Then once when I came back to one of the Baylor's uh, homecoming, we spent some time together. He gave me his first book that he had written, and I got to visit his church where he was currently pastoring. So that was a nice experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he also sounds like a really uh, amazing man as well. Robert, I admired him so much because he let nothing deter him. He was, he was very focused. He knew what he wanted, and he was not going to allow the, the you know his physical disabilities uh, persuade him to do anything less. I can remember once we were talking, he and Robert had said, "You know, my standards for who I would choose to be my life's partner is no different." People think just because I have this handicap that I should lower my standards, but I don't. My, uh, my standards are still the same. And that's evident with the wonderful wife he chose and the beautiful children that he had. <laughs> Visiting with Miss Barbara Walker. And, and Miss Walker, it, it seems like when you were on campus that, that you really poured yourself into to campus life. But was that the case? And if so, what were some of the activities that you were involved in beyond the classroom that, uh, that really stood out to you? Well, I joined KAIS, which is a social service club, which was really nice to have them welcome me there. And we had a lot of activities going on besides the social aspect. We did volunteer work at some of the uh, centers in the community, and especially with working with children, uh, just all kinds of things, great fundraising. That was such an important part for me. And plus Baylor, uh, I noticed a change when I was, I'm there at Baylor now with the churches. When we went, of course, Baylor was much smaller then. Baylor was what, like about 5,000 students. And the churches were all really involved with making sure that Baylor students were making a good transition from home. And every Sunday evening, there were about, about six different churches that had fellowship uh, with all kinds of activities and then having worship services for, the, for us. And so I was very much involved with that. Uh, went to that all the time. Several times uh, I was invited to speak and to share my story during that time. So it was great. <laughs> it was really great for me. And I know my my uh, my uh, grandson. No, I guess some, one of my grandson, but some of the other relatives. They said, "I don't understand why you were so crazy about Baylor. What is it that?" I says, "Well." If you had been growing up in the time that I was and was Redbird and all of the things, you would well understand. You would well understand because I really felt like I was really rescued from a situation that only they could do, you know. Wow. Who were some of the people on campus? You mentioned some friends. Were there faculty members, administrators, professors who stood out to you as having a big impact on, on part of the reason you love Baylor now? One, my sociology professor, Dr. Uh, Osborne, Harold Osborne. I think he probably had the most influence on me than any of my uh, teachers at Baylor. And he, uh, even though uh, he was not my formal response uh, faculty advisor, but he kind of, he really took on that role. And he's the one that encouraged me. He's the one that helped me to get the scholarship to go to Florida State and just all and just encouraged me when they were um, wanting to know. You know, you know, they always have to interview professors if you're going, pledging one of those uh, clubs on campus. And he was the one that talked that had a really strong influence in them accepting me into Kai's. 
So yeah, he meant, he meant a lot to me. And there was also um, my English teacher, Mrs. Miller, Ann Miller. She was an outstanding lady. I really loved and appreciated her so much. And then our, what I call our dorm mom, Mrs. Cox. I spent all my years in Memorial uh, dorm and she was the dorm mom there. And she was really great, very accepting, very warm person. You, you talk about uh, a number of people and Dr. Osborne's influence on you going to Florida State and your career. And I want to ask you about that in just a moment. But before I do, before we move on from Baylor, I'm curious, commencement 1967, do any any memories particularly stand out to you on the day that uh, that you received your diploma and walked the stage? Oh, besides being really happy that it was over for <laughs> you to study. But I guess the the thing I remember most was the fact that my mom came. And my mother had not really participated. I mean, I'm the, like the second set of children. My mother, uh, she had 13 children. And I was the youngest of, of the ones that survived. Nine of us survived. And she, I guess she was just tired. So she did not attend any of the activities that I participated in. Not even my, uh, we had eighth grade graduation. Uh, then I finished a year early at Porter. So I didn't have a Porter graduation. So I, I just felt, it was just really special to me that she showed up and she said, oh yeah, your dad told me that my dad had brought her ticket or on the bus and given her money to make sure she'd be able to get there safely. And so that just meant a lot to me. And then my brother, my older brother, someone who else, he had, he was in the military and uh, he arranged and showed up also totally unexpected, he and his family. So those are the memories that I have that really meant a lot to me. And, and plus saying goodbye to so many of the friends that I had met, knowing that most likely I would never see them, a lot of them again. And plus I had gotten, I had gotten a, a grant to go to Florida State for my, to get my master's degree. So that was on my mind too. And I just knew that I had a plan. There was something beyond Baylor that I was really looking forward to. So it was great. This is Baylor Connections. We are visiting with Miss Barbara Walker. And, and Miss Walker, let's talk about that. You know, I think when people at Baylor hear your name, people know your historic uh, role at Baylor. But if we were to visit California and a lot of the offices you worked in, they know you for your work uh, for uh, three decades plus in, in social work in, in California and for, for really serving people so well. So you went from Baylor to Florida State. And then what was the path that led you uh, eventually to California and the California Department of Mental Health? During, uh, that was in 1969, during that time, several states were in the process of clearing their state mental hospitals and placing people into the community. And master's level social workers were the ones that were pretty much specified as the group that would be involved with that. So all of the most so many of the states were busily pursuing master's level social workers out of graduate school. And Cal the state of California Department of Mental Health actually sent a team to uh, Florida State. Florida State, we graduated earlier than all the other schools. Uh, we graduated in March, where the other schools didn't get out either till May or June. So they were right there before graduation was offering us and opportunities. And so I signed up right then uh, uh, and started working at community services branch that was located in Southgate, California, which was 
just a very short uh, distance from uh, where my sister lived. My sister lived in California. She was one of the reasons why I ended up in coming to California. So I had the job already there and uh, working with the outpatient services. We were busy. We were training um, family care homes to be able to take in the pay, the patients that were being discharged and some were being discharged into their own homes as well. So we followed those as well. And then from there, after I had worked there for a while, I decided to transfer into the state hospital, the state mental hospital that was with that we were receiving a lot of those outpatients from. So I worked there on the units with individual and group therapy and also helping to place patients. And I got to uh, lead a group, lead the team on um, this um, the jails. We had a large population of of um, patients who were ended up in the they were ending up in jails, but really had mental health problems. And they finally recognized that and established the unit there at Metropolitan State Hospital. And I worked with them, and that was that was very interesting. And then I went back into the community again uh, as the uh, coordinator for placing patients out of the state hospitals in our area. And we were placing them from uh, several different hospitals. And I would go and visit the patients there, interview them, interview their staff, and looking at finding the best setting for them. Also work with training boarding care operators that were taking in patients because family care were small where the boarding care homes were much larger they had, had much more, you know, supposed to be, have more opportunities than what family care homes were able to offer. So, and uh, so I did that. So, and I, the last thing I did in with the state was uh, let the team with, as a staff mental health specialist, we uh, oversaw the, the federal dollars that were coming into the, uh, into county in the county mental health, both on the inpatient and the outpatient level. So we managed that, making sure that the dollars were being spent like they were supposed to, making sure that there was equity, there was not uh, just racial discrimination in how the monies were allocated. So that was what I retired with. Uh -huh. Wow, a lot, like you think about all the moving parts, I, I would imagine, to what you just described. What were some of the biggest challenges that were meaningful to overcome for you and what were in terms of serving your your clients and your patients and then what moments were most meaningful to you personally just in interacting with people that you were helping yeah well um one of the biggest i guess the biggest challenges were just getting uh, getting the community on board and and accepting patients coming back into the community so you know that we had uh community uh, awareness and working with people to help them to understand and to accept our patients and to not be so frightened <laughs> of them because people really have have had a thing about being afraid of mental health mental patients. But some of these patients had been in the hospital. Oh, I had so many on my ward there at Metropolitan State Hospital. Their parents had just, their families had left them there as young people. And some of them had been there like 20 and 30 years, just sitting on the units, not doing wow. anything. And I remember one man in particular was the nicest man. And he was working all over the hospital and doing the yards for the doctors and everything. And I asked him one day, 
would you like to go into the community? Would you like to leave here? He said, yes, I would. <laughs> he was real excited about it. He left and he never came back. You know, we didn't, he did not return. He stayed out in the community the whole time. He did. He made a beautiful adaption, ad adapting to that. So that was, that was really fulfilling and rewarding. One of the things that I liked, especially though, was with uh, once I had my license and was a licensed clinical social worker, I was able to go into private practice as well. So I had a private practice on the side of working with parents whose children had been removed from the home because of different reasons. Some were just neglect, some were abuse, some were uh, drugs involved, you know, and, and to work with those parents and to help them to be able to get to the point where they could have their children back at home and how they could accept big thing was with them was really being able to accept themselves. There's a lot of very, very low self-confidence and self-esteem involved. And that was very rewarding for me. I, I enjoyed that most of all. You know, I don't want to draw to a, a connection where there's maybe not, but as you describe, you know, working with the community, helping people uh, accept, uh, you know, mental health patients as they were integrated back into the community, were, were you and your colleagues really trailblazers in that area as well in the 1970s? Was that another area which you were maybe on kind of the early wave of, of making a difference? Probably so, because we were the first, let me see. So I graduated in 69 from Florida State and that the, the placing patients in the home, it had started on a very small scale, but California had passed legislation in 1968, the, what we call the LPS Act, Lanterman Petrus Short Act, in which it mandated that patients be prepared to move into the community. So we were, uh, California was one of the leaders in starting that, in uh, placing patients into the home and working with, in the community. Visiting with Miss uh, Barbara Walker and talking about your uh, your career as a social worker, uh, a public servant, both uh, you know both uh, with the uh, with the state and in private practice. And as we head into the final few minutes of the program, I want to ask you a little bit more, sort of transition back to talking about the, the the statue that's now in front of Tidwell Bible Building. Anyone can walk by and see the statues of you and, and and Reverend Gilbert. You know, we talked to you about finding out about it um, in the last couple of years, but once you found out that this was going to happen and that you could play a role in it, what was important to you? What were, what were your goals, your your priorities in working with uh, in working uh, with uh, both the, the, the sculptor and the university and putting together the right thing for you and for the Gilbert family as well? Well, working with Benjamin, uh, Victor, that was quite an experience. <laughs> he is the most humble person. And just, he has so much passion in the work that he does. And he really puts himself into, into what he's doing. I know like before we had the, before we did the sculpture, you know, before we're choosing, before we had the interviews, you know, he had taken the time to kind of delve into both Roberts and my past and looking at what, what was the situation kind of going on in our lives during the, during the 60s and the environment and the community and all of those things. And just, it was just such an emotional 
thing just to hear him talk thought every I mean when he talked he was the last one I think that interviewed and when he talked it was just hands down we, we didn't even have any doubt that, that he was the one that we were both choosing and when I talked to Robert's family they felt the same way they had that same thing so um I don't know if I'm answering your question or not it's great but uh so and he we worked with him the whole time uh you know he was always calling emailing me as he as he progressed uh with the statue knowing what it is that I how what outfit I wanted to have on there how I wanted my hair done how I wanted to stand you know just everything and he sent the I guess they those models he sent pictures of the models and everything uh suggestions that I had and there were a few suggestions I had made that I wanted changed and he no problem changed it and did it without any question about it at all so that was really great I'm very glad that I had that working relationship with him because he was the one that really kept in touch with me to for me to know what was going on. What was it about Benjamin Victor? Obviously a very talented artist, but what was it about him and those interview processes that both you and the Gilberts knew? This is this is the one. His warmth, the way he talked about what he had wanted to do, what is it he wanted to portray uh, in his work. And then, like, for instance, with Robert, I don't know if, if uh, Kenyatta shared it, but like he had made, you know, they had to make little sculptures of us to present at the at the thing. And he had made the one of Robert. And he, he said he knew when he looked at it that well, there was something missing. He couldn't figure out, oh, there's something missing. And he said it came to him late at night. He got up and worked all night to make that little tiny little Bible that Robert was holding into for that little statue. Wow. And he, you know, just to put that much energy and that concern in it that he wanted, and it was perfect. <laughs> it really helped to portray who Robert, you know, who Robert was and just, just things like that. Uh, and he was so willing to, after that, you know, to keep in touch with me, I know, um, and share with me constantly what was going on and everything. It was just, he felt, made me feel like he was part of my family. So he sees something special. That's wonderful. Yeah, when well, you could see the, the the fruit of his work, definitely the right uh, the right guy for sure. Yes. Well, Miss Miss Walker, as we wind down on the the, the program, I want to ask you my final question for you is you know I asked you what it was like for you seeing the statue when 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 people come and see the statues here of you and Reverend Gilbert in the weeks ahead and even further than that in the the months and years ahead. What do you hope people see? What do you hope they think about? What do you hope they feel when they see those statues? Well, for African-Americans, I would hope that they would see that as a sign that says, I can do it. I can make it. I can do this too. I can finish school, you know, and do something with my life. That is what I would hope they would get the encouragement. With everyone, though, I would like to I would really hope that they would see that as kind of a stepping stone and a desire to get to know people of other groups that are different from them because they really miss such an opportunity. I think of all the uh, opportunities, so many of the people at Baylor missed out who did not bother to get to know me. And I thought, you know, they really lucked out. I mean, you know, that was that they, you know, yes. they really missed something special by not getting to know me when I was there. But I would hope that they would see it as them reaching out to one another to really try to get to know people of other races and other ethnic groups 
and that it would be a, a unifying force on the campus for the for them. Absolutely. Well, well Ms. Walker, it's really uh, meaningful to see your statue and Reverend Gilbert's as well. And it's been very meaningful to have you on the program to, today. All of us at Baylor uh, owe you a debt of gratitude. And I want to thank you for coming on and taking the time to share today. Well, thank you for having me. I really have enjoyed it. That's wonderful. And again, we hope you uh, people, if they haven't, uh, will take the time to, to visit the, the front of the Tidwell Bible Building and, uh, and, and take a look at, at these statues in the, uh, in the weeks ahead. Miss Barbara Walker, our guest today on Baylor Connections. I'm Derek Smith. A reminder, you can hear this and other programs online at baylor.edu slash connections, and you can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for joining us here on Baylor Connections.